We are breaking down season two, episode one of The Mandalorian entitled Chapter Nine, The Marshal. That's a lot of detail for you, but we've got Dan Zare from Coffee with Kenobi with us on this very special edition of the Learning Geeks Star Wars After Show starting now. Right, all right. Uh, I'm just going to jump right in. I was so happy last Friday morning when I woke up at 5 a.m. Uh, with <laughs> my cup of coffee after feeding my cats to turn on Disney Plus and watch the new episode of The Mandalorian and feel like, man, this just picked up right where it left off. It was so good. I was a little disappointed, not in the show, but the fact I stayed up and I forgot that it's not midnight central time. <laughs> so 2 a.m. for you? So no, I, I stayed up till one and I was just, I lost it. I was so tired. And then I fell asleep thinking I would wake up in the morning. I lost too much, too much sleep. So I, I got up right when I needed to, to, to leave for work. So I didn't, I didn't watch until about noon my time, but still it was fun. Really great episode, though. So, Dan, um, Dan Zier is our guest. If you missed our last episode, uh, if you are the type of person who skips right to the Star Wars after shows, and we know there are some of you out there, um, uh, Dan Zier hosts Coffee with Kenobi, which is an extremely popular, if not the most popular, Star Wars podcast. Uh, we just had a great conversation about learning themes in Star Wars. Uh, and now we're talking about this episode. I, 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 we were talking about this a little bit earlier in the green room. Uh, it's hard to believe that it was a year ago that we all got together. We watched the first episode live and we recorded in here our, in my room, right in, in here. Jake's room where yeah. he is right now. And we recorded our after show and that went on to be, I think the number one media in Accenture's media exchange for about six weeks. Yeah, it was trending like, very high, which is it awesome. It was trending very high. So the people of our company, uh, Accenture, were were mooey mooey into it. Well, they, how many times did everyone throw out, I have spoken? Oh, it, it was the new conversation closer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I mean, it was like, if there's one thing that John Favreau has given to American culture, it's two amazing ways to shut down any conversation. It's like, you can either say, I have spoken, or this is the way. This is the way. Right. Yeah. It doesn't like, work as well with seven-year-olds, by the way. That doesn't tend to work really well with my son. <laughs> Daddy. You know, it also doesn't work super well with Accenture managing directors when they're like, <laughs> you know, no, I want to do a 50-hour in-person class. And we say, you know, that's really not a good learning idea. I have spoken. <laughs> oh, and you hold up <laughs> a new design well. and you say, this is the way. That's right. That doesn't work too well either. <laughs> I mean, this this new episode. I mean, we waited yeah. a long time, and The Mandalorian was the most at one point the most the most watched television show in all of streaming programming on all networks. Phenomenal, and there's a good reason why. And I think this episode perfectly encapsulates what makes this show work so well. It's got heart. It's got an opportunity for empathy. It's got incredible action, special effects, music, and a lot of shocking twists. It was, mm-hmm. to me, this is a time capsule episode. This is the one I would show to people who had never seen it. What I loved is the the feel of it being a, a Western. It had just so much of that genre in it, even from the way that people walked. Absolutely. Uh, 
they amplified it up this year, even though last year they still, they kicked it off right away. I even think with the, the music itself, it's kind of got this Western vibe to it. Um, but this year, especially, I mean, that that scene when, when Manda walks into the cantina slash saloon, basically, they might as well just had those flapping doors, you know, when he walked in, but it was, it felt completely Western. It was a it. Western. It, it totally was. And, you know, I was trying to place it because... If you look back at season one, episode four, which was really, uh, it, it was really a remake of um, the Seven Samurai, right? Kurosawa. Yeah. With Kurosawa, right. And it felt exactly like that. I was trying to think, is there a Western movie or a samurai movie that is, you know, so similar to the plot of this that, you know, this was kind of an homage to? I think it's interesting to look at it that way because it basically takes a lot of tropes from a lot of different archetypal stories of the Western, but then it throws in this wonderful little twist with a dragon and suddenly you've got this Western slash Jaws hybrid that really worked really well. That crate dragon was scary. Oh my gosh. How great was it to finally see a crate dragon on screen? <laughs> Ever since Obi-Wan Kenobi made that noise, it become became horribly mutilated thanks to the special yeah. editions. And to see it in person and to have all the different parts of the lore thrown into it was just ex- absolutely exquisite to me. It was amazing because I, I watched it with my wife. Well, my routine is this. I get up at the crack of dawn to watch the new episode by myself, and then I watch it with my wife later. So I watched it the second time with her, and I was so excited about the crate Dragon. And she's just like, what's the deal? It's a big monster. And then I went back. You know, I immediately, it was great because you're in Disney Plus. You can just click right over to A New Hope. And I went right to the scene with with C-3PO. And I'm like, we've been wondering what these things are for 43 years. <laughs> and, you know, that was so that was so fulfilling. I should add I, I should add really quick before we get too much further, because you mentioned twists a couple of times, Dan. We're going full on spoiler in this episode of The Learning Geek. So if you haven't watched The Mandalorian yet and you want to hit pause right now, go watch it. If we spoil something, it's now your fault. OK, Dan, what were you saying? Oh, I don't remember. Something silly and wacky. I can't remember. <laughs> I stepped on your line. I'm no, sorry. no, not Bob, at all. Bob, talking about, you know, the skeleton in A New Hope, I remember yeah. seeing that. And that's when it occurred to me that this is not a normal desert. Mm, right? I love this, that. This is a world far away. And it, it just, because prior to that, it's like, oh, it's a desert. And it's like, no, it's not just a desert. And that prop was uh, from uh, something for a, a, a movie that a very obscure Disney movie it was a Brachiosaurus. It weighed hundreds and hundreds of pounds. It took a lot of work to get that thing out into the desert anyway. Kind of interesting. Yeah, and I just read that I think when they filmed Attack of the Clones, they went out and they actually unearthed some of those bones that were still sitting out there in the desert. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah, that's why there's, yeah. that's why it's still there because it's so heavy. So you can even the biggest you can't, do it can't really mm-hmm. put, put it on the carry on. Yeah, Star Wars archaeology, I think that could be another podcast that oh, we could do. I like that. So that's amazing. Well, hey, you know, I want to talk about somebody who in about five minutes became one of my favorite characters in all of Star Wars, and that's Cobb Vanth, the Martian yeah. himself. Uh, I had read, the, I think I only read the first Aftermath book where that character first appeared. And I had heard a rumor that I had heard a rumor that the character was going to appear. I had heard a rumor that Timothy Oliphant was going to play him. And that rumor turned out to be true. And it was amazing on all counts. I thought Oliphant just 
rocked it. As a side plug, by the way, the the second aftermath book, Life Debt, is the best of the trilogy. Is it really? Unquestionably, it's all about Han going back with Chewie to Kashyyyk to to rescue to liberate the Wookies. But in every one of those books in the trilogy, Cobb Vanth makes an appearance, and and we start to see that story of him with the Jawas. We see it from a different point of view, which helps to sort of emphasize what I think is as much as I love Cobb Vanth and I am completely entranced by him. I think he's an unreliable narrator. I'm still not convinced that he's squeaky clean because the, the story as he told it of kind of how he found the Boba Fett armor that did not sync up with what was in the book, which is official canon. And I I'm not a canon hound by any means, but still, um, I did see where where Chuck Wendig, the author who actually created the character, tweeted out afterwards that no, he they didn't tell him that he was gonna that Cobb Vanth was going to appear, uh, and he was very excited about it. So I, I just think that's a super special well, story. It was it was so good, and 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 for I, I have not read the aftermath novels. However, so I was looking up on you know Wikipedia, Wikipedia, sorry, Wikipedia is still one of my favorite places and uh when i was reading more into Cobb, and i read his his story of what happened i'm like okay it doesn't match up when i thought back in the actual episode he is narrating it it's it's from his point of view right so that's probably there there probably is some type of twist especially at the end when he says i I look forward to to meeting up one day again i hope so because i i would love to see him back i can't imagine we've seen the last of him well i'll tell you when i was watching the episode last week about halfway through and i was seeing the townspeople of uh mos pelgo and the tuscan raiders working together uh i just started thinking wow this was totally the story that america needs today You know, and it's kind of like, why is it not? Why is it not the red states and the blue states uniting together against coronavirus? Like, which is the crate dragon, right? Like, watch the art, people. Like, pay attention. <laughs> and it, you know, it it kind of boggled my mind that this was all written and filmed, I believe, long before the virus actually that's correct uh, took place. So. That just shows how how prescient and and evergreen art like that can be. That's right. right. The, those Jungian archetypes uh, cannot yep. be held back. And what I think I would argue that that moment, where in it, there was a little bit of that in the in the fifth episode of season one, but it, it was extrapolated so much more so for this. Where it was a, a major focal point, the fact that Din Djarin uses sign language and uses the actual auditory language of the Tuscans doesn't try to change their culture. Uh, embraces their culture, you know, breaks bread with them, has drink with them, does not use the myth of redemptive violence to to establish anything for himself, is so crucial and so key. And I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like that is the biggest takeaway from this whole thing. And I and I wish more people would would catch on to that because that, like you said, that's the art is telling you something about how we live, how we should live as people. I think it's invaluable. He, he did use his, uh, he did use his flamethrower to uh, try to squelch a little bit of uproar there. Yes, he did. He, yes. That was like uh, kind of firing the gun in the air. The old, what, yeah. that was, that was a John Wayne move. If ever there was. Yeah. Well, Dana, didn't you just do that as a, as a father though, with your girls and did you ever just spit some, spit <laughs> some fire out? I mean, yeah, that, that was yeah, just yeah. pretty much a, the kids were acting up. The kids were acting was, up. Yeah, he they... just wanted them to shut up a little bit, but. No, I, I thought the ending and 
I love that ending from the moment when when Cobb said we're getting picked off by Womp Rat, like picking off like Womp Rats, and they just take off in the the jetpacks and and you know, and and go to town. And then from that from that point on, I think the music starts to build, and of course the uh, the crate dragon gets more intense as he blows outside of the mountain and and comes down. But that whole that whole scene of of, of coming in together, and then the final hurrah with the the Tuscan Raiders just you know doing their yell. I thought it was just fabulous at the end. It was a great ending and showing the pearl and the pearl. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Which honestly, like I did not remember from playing Knights of the Old Republic how important those pearls were. I was like, oh yeah, I couldn't remember where that came from until I looked it up, and then I'm, and then it yeah. remem- then I remembered where it did, but I totally forgot. It's brilliant. There is so much connectivity. I mean, I think it's unprecedented in popular culture how much they're pulling from comics, from the Legends line, from the animated stuff, from novels, and incorporating it into one complete story which is what it is and i think it's it's so empowering and exciting and and i had a big debate with a bunch of other educators and 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 one friend of mine said you know what i'm a little frustrated with the premiere because i feel like it's so it's so deep in the weeds that i need to know a bunch of stuff about this lore that doesn't involve the tv show and i feel lost and i said you know i don't think you need to know any of that stuff i mean knowing the pearl is fun Understanding yep. who Boba Fett is, of course, is pretty important. But even if you don't, you're still watching a good space western, and it's fun. Mm-hmm. So you know, Easter eggs are there for a reason, but you don't need them. I don't. I don't think they add much, really. I mean, they do, of course, to probably some like to us. But I, I sometimes step. There's there's been moments where I've seen it, and I didn't even pick it up until I read later. And I still didn't even know because it was maybe from a, a book that I haven't read or whatever. But it, it doesn't disrupt from the actual story itself. Right. Um, when you see Howard the Duck at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy, you smile. But you don't, it doesn't matter if you know who that is. Exactly. <laughs> Which is something that, that we get a lot. You know, it's something that I get a lot because in my work, you know, we wind up creating videos that have a lot of humor and it's supposed to go to a global audience. Um, and me being who I am, I like to build a lot of in-jokes and references and things like that. And sometimes people are like, oh, that's too American or, you know, that that won't work if you, you're not a Star Wars fan. And I'm like, I'm careful when I'm doing it to make sure that it would work and it would be effective and funny, even if you didn't know the reference. Right. It, like a, a joke will play even if you don't get that it's a callback. And And I think that's something that Favreau and Filoni really are masters of. I was actually getting into a very heated argument over text with some of my friends yesterday about, well, one of my friends thought that there's just too much fan service in The Mandalorian. And the other two of us were like, we hate that word. It's so, mm-hmm. it's so like the, whatever the opposite of pedantic is, that's what that is. Because yeah. I, I don't, I mean, the, the ironic thing for me is that people complain that the prequels were too different. And then when mm-hmm. The Force Awakens came out, there was a very small minority, very loud minority that said, oh, it's just an, it's a new hope all over again. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Yep. There, there are certain tropes, but that's called science fantasy. Star Wars is science fantasy, and there are tropes in everything. That, that's called <coughs> storytelling. But that there's not fan service. There, this is a big connected world, and, and it works together for a reason. Otherwise, don't put the word Star Wars on it. Which actually, I think we have to turn to probably the biggest callback 
which may have been an overly obscure reference for people who didn't know. And that's the very last shot of episode one. So this grizzled uh, man turns to camera. He's got uh, gaffy sticks from Tuscan Raiders on his back. He looks like he's been out in the wilderness for a while. And you look and those of us in the know realize that it is the face of Boba Fett. How amazing was that moment? I thought first, Bob, you were first going to say there's actually to me, I thought there was two callbacks. Okay. There's, there was one a little bit before that. There was that widescreen shot that they that they created. And it was him oh, zooming sons. on the speeder with yeah. the two sons. However, yeah. it was not a callback to the two sons with Anakin. It reminded me of Attack of the Clones when he was going, when Anakin was, or I'm sorry, not Anakin, but uh, Luke. But it reminded me of Anakin in Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Coming back when they did a wide shot of him going on the, the speeder. Then of oh, course, see, I, with- I didn't catch that, but I did catch that the Suns had almost the exact same placement as they do in A New Hope, and then at the end of the last, the Last Jedi. I don't so think I that one was. The- in, I don't think that one was intently done for that reason, but it immediately made me think of Anakin on his mission towards to see the Tusken Raiders. But yeah. that was the flip side. With it was he was leaving the Tusken Raiders in a positive light rather than he was going to the Tuscan Raiders on a negative side, probably not needed, but that was my nerdum that came out on that scene. Uh, That's a good catch, Jake. I like that. Well, I mean, the aspect ratio I think is pretty cool. It's a very unconventional way to emphasize something. And then when yeah. you see Tamara Morrison, my son and I looked at each other and was, Oh, there's Boba Fett. And then my son said, how do you know that it's Boba Fett? And I said, you know yeah. what? I don't. You don't. I know it's Tamara Morrison, which means he could be, Okay, be he could be a clone. He's certainly not Django Fed. Let's not lose our head talking about that. Oh. And so, so it's, Dan, Dan is now officially part of Learning Geeks with that dad joke, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just getting warmed up, I think. So it, it's it's exciting. And, and I don't think we're going to see a payoff on that for a while. You know how people are saying to me, Mr. Zare, how long has he been there? Um, is he waiting to get his armor and or what what's going on? Is he a spy? I mean, I see, I think he's just showing up to the party and he sees his armor. You know, I can't wait to see what happens with the story. I've never been a huge. I love Boba Fett and the Empire Strikes Back because we didn't know anything about him. And then his um, his merit definitely fell for me, especially in Attack of the Clones. But to see this, it and I know we're going to get to the backstory. That's going to be pretty cool. That was actually <laughs> scary good. I've been working on that one. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> well, I have to ask this, Dan, since you've written, you know, wrote the the star wars book too and and know so much but at the beginning of the um episode they talk about there's another mandalorian however if we assume this is boba fett he's not mandalorian correct no there's never been confirmation that boba fett is mandalorian he has mandalorian armor but he's a clone so wherever uh, you know a, a hybrid clone but so Django fed started with the armor and then somehow boba fett acquired some of his own but yeah, that's he's not he's not Mandalorian. That that is this is not the Mandalorian he's looking for. So it'll be interesting <laughs> to see who that is. But this idea of of Mandalorian being more of a creed than a race or you know people from a planet that's pretty new with the show, The Mandalorian, right? It is. It is. It's yeah. because otherwise, what happened with Sabine? But as Pablo told me personally, uh, Dave didn't forget that Sabine takes off her helmet. He made Sabine. He created her. He helped create Din Djarin. He knows right. that. 
But Din Djarin is a, is a specific, literally, it's a way. It's a certain subsect of Mandalorian culture. That Because that's where I first thought of, or who I first thought of when I first watched Mandalorian was Sabine. Because there was this huge emphasis of not taking off the helmet, but Sabine the whole time has her helmet off. Now, of course, she's the one decorating her helmet. There's a big thing about her armor. However, you only, well, not only, but you mostly see her when she's not in some type of fight. She's mostly without her without her helmet on. Yeah, it's just a, it's just like a different subsect of a particular belief system inside the Mandalorian culture. It's you know, you've got Roman Catholics, you got you know, you've got yeah, Greek Orthodox. I mean, you've got all kinds of stuff. So I'm curious, and uh, I won't ask anybody who might have any inside connections who might know anything to say anything. But what are we hoping for for the rest of the season of the Mandalorian? Uh, you know, what are things that maybe you picked up from a trailer or rumor that you're hoping to see? I'm hoping to be entertained. I'm hoping to be surprised. I'm hoping that they continue to expand the lore and take risks that are that are good for storytelling. And as long as I don't feel like I did uh, after I saw The Rise of Skywalker, I'll be really happy. I'm glad you mentioned that because I had this thing. I I, I don't want to be heretical, but I actually think that The Mandalorian has done more uh, is more consistent with what I felt Star Wars should be than Rise of Skywalker. I agree, and I I, I think I think that's a it's, yep. it's a very intelligent take because it's I think the storytelling is tighter. It's it's much tighter. J.J. Abrams is a very gifted filmmaker. You know, there's a, I mean, there's certainly some merit in the Rise of Skywalker. There's some good parts of it, but overall, The Mandalorian I think is helping Disney so much and is helping Phantom so much. Because it's not polarizing. I mean, it's, yeah. it pretty much seems you don't really hear a lot of quibble about the Mandalorian. People love it, and I think that's refreshing for Disney. I, I would certainly think so. I mean, I feel like we didn't really feel this way since Rogue One, honestly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the Last Jedi was apparently polarizing to me. I think the Last Jedi is brilliant. I love cinema. I will die on that hill. Um, but yeah, the Mandalorian is just a very, very special fresh take that we didn't know that we needed, but I think it's, it's great. It, it feel to me, it feels more star Wars. Yes. Than, yes. Than the other. It's got that callback. It's, you know, like the yeah. Western high concept of the space cowboy thing. Well, and in many ways, I'm glad that they didn't make a Mandalorian film so that they could make the series. Oh yeah. And I, and I feel like what we just saw that could have easily been a film. Mm-hmm. It was that oh, good. Sure. Especially the, the visual effects. I feel like ILM really outdid themselves and that's saying something. I feel that the, that was actually one of my favorite pieces of the whole episode, not just the storyline, but the visual effects. I felt like the, the world has now been expanded. Like this is more expansive feel to it than what it was before. Cause now that I know how the technology at least works from watching the documentaries and then by watching it back again, the first eight episodes, I could see it. I could feel, see how, I want to call it limited, but I can kind of tell that they were controlled within the studio. This episode did not feel this way. It actually felt that they were on site, on location, in this Tatooine environment. And I don't even know if they were or not, um, but it, it just felt felt bigger. And I, I just, I, that's just massive credit to tell them well in the the whole first series after you learned about the volume i i kept trying to look to see okay 
where's the volume? I couldn't tell in yeah. this episode. It was really hard to differentiate. I kept looking for it, which I know I shouldn't. I should just enjoy the. Oh, I know what uh, you mean. It's it's hard not to. When you see how the sausage is made, it's hard not to peek yeah. in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Which is why ultimately I was like, you know, I don't think I want to work at Disney after all. <laughs> because I, you know, I, I don't want to be too far. I, I've had the opportunity to get into the sausage making uh, and realize that I'm much happier consuming the sausage than being privy to the making of it. Oh, I, I agree. Trust me. Yeah. That's why I don't make beer. I like, I like finding <laughs> beer. I don't like making beer. Anyway, sidetrack. <laughs> well, hey, listen, again, I think that we could go on all night, but I think we probably should go ahead and, and bring it to a halt for this episode. So, Dan, thanks again for joining us. It's been such yeah, a thanks, pleasure. thanks, Dan. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, thanks, yeah. I mean, I could easily just sit and listen to the three of you chat, so I'm very delighted to be a part of the conversation. And uh, we got to go to bed because uh, four hours from now, we get to see season one, episode two. That's yes. Right. So we're, we're recording this on Thursday night, and uh, it's later for you guys than it is for me. So it's 10 o'clock. Getting 10 close o'clock. to bedtime. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, to all of our listeners, thanks again for joining us. Uh, we're happy that you stick around for our after show. Give us your comments. We'd love to hear about them. Uh, on behalf of, of Jake and Dana and Dan, uh, we will go ahead and sign off and say the force will be with you always. This is the way. Thanks, all.